Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the show, Fifth Street Soccer, here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and coming to you live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm Nick Eber. Great to be with you tonight. Loads going on in the world of football, and I'm going to be getting to all of it. I am solo tonight. There is no Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik actually will not be with me all week. He will be returning next week as uh, he has some other duties that he has to attend to. But never fear, we've got a full show for you today, as we always do. I'll be joined a little later on in the show by Sports Byline's very own Rick Tittle. And we're going to have a little chinwag about Tottenham Hotspur and the problems going on at the new White Hart Lane, commonly known as the uh, now known as the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, and uh, one Mr. Pochettino, Tottenham, of course, getting a shocking result over the weekend. And never fear, also, we will cover all of the Premier League results that happened over the weekend, including today, shock defeat of Arsenal. Let's talk about Unai Emery and Mesut Ozil. What is going on with the Gunners? Plus, the Champions League. It's back tomorrow. It's back Wednesday. Let's take a look at some of the Champions League matchups. Take a look at some of the odds and values. Let's see if there's anything especially interesting coming up that you might want to place a little dosh on. If I can help you make some money, I will. Remember, if you do make money, you have to send me a picture of your new Ferrari. That's how it works. You can send it to me on Twitter, at Fifth Street Sports. That's at Fifth Street Sports on Twitter. Or you can send it to my personal Twitter account, which is, unsurprisingly, at Nick Gieber. Those are the topics on the table today. We do love having you here, and we're here with you Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 9 Eastern on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite. And, of course, we want to welcome to the show all of our men and women in uniform around the world listening, courtesy of the American Forces Network. An absolute pleasure and a privilege to speak to all of you today. By the way, if you're listening on one of our many digital platforms, whether that's iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or the award-winning SiriusXM app, we welcome you to the show as well. If you want to give a call in studio, I'm all ears today as I'm solo in the studio. It's toll-free. That's right. Don't be a cheap bastard. You can make the call. You don't have to pay for it. Let the man pay for it. Strike a blow against capitalism and the huge corporate entities that run our lives. That's right. Make them pay for the phone call. 800-878-7529, which is 800-878-PLAY, in case you did not know that. All right. Those are the topics on the table today. Oh, and I forgot one. Let's talk about the Ballon d'Or, or as I like to call it, the Ballon Bor. That's coming up. I'll tell you who's on the list. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the show, Fist Street Soccer. Nick Gieber with you tonight. I'm flying solo, but I'm never alone. It is the Premier League is the topic on the table this segment, most more particularly, or most more specifically. I'm having trouble talking tonight. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Who better to talk Spurs than one of Sports Byline's very own and massive Spurs fan, Rick Tittle. Rick, welcome to the show. Hello, Nick. It's been too long. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing very well, Rick. Uh, certainly, I'm doing well, but I know uh, as a Premier League fan, you are not, Rick. Uh, let's talk about your beloved Tottenham because... 1-1 uh, against Watford is not a result anybody could have possibly imagined. But then uh, your team has managed to cobble together four wins in 19 Premier League games going back to last season. Uh, this is a 
team that made it to the final of the Champions League last year. And, um, you know, it's uh, there's trouble in paradise. Rick, give me your take on it. Well, they've been going so well under a Pochettino that they were probably due for a little bit of a, a lull. There, there's no doubt the people that want him out are insane. He's brought them to some to some very high heights. But, uh, yeah, it's not been a good run. That, that goal against Watford should have been a handball. Deli Ali used his left uh, arm to control it. Um, I don't know if you know this, I was just there. I went to the Champions League game. They lost to Bayern Munich 7-2, and then I took the Thames link down to Brighton on Saturday, and I saw them lose at the Amex. I was in the away end right in front of Lloris when he did his elbow, and yeah. some people tried to tell me I was bad luck, and I had to remind them that I have seen Tottenham win in person before, so you can't blame me, but... I went there for a very bad week. I went there because I'm the Raider pre- and post-game host on their flagship. So I did the Raider game, did my shows from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but I also took advantage of being in England to see those games. And I can tell you that stadium is absolutely amazing. I absolutely love it. But don't love the run of results lately, as you mentioned. Yeah, you know, I have my own take on this. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what, what I think, and I'd love to get your feedback on it. Now, I've said this on the show during our analysis of Tottenham's you know, poor run going back to last year. Uh, you know, Tottenham is a team that um, has always punched above its weight. Uh, Daniel Levy has invested in players when, when he's absolutely had to. Uh, not to the level of Mike Ashley in terms of reticence, uh, for sure. Uh, but the problem that Tottenham have, of course, is that they don't, they don't like to pay the big salaries that they need to to get the, those players that are going to sort of push them over the edge. But an incredible run in the Champions League last year saw them get to the final. And, you know, I was absolutely astounded, astounded when Pochettino came out and said that if they won the Champions League, he would resign he would leave and you know i thought that that was a terrible setup because what is that telling the players first of all it's telling the players that in your manager's opinion this is the best he can ever do with you and that the chances of repeating are unlikely the chances of winning the league are unlikely so you know once you do lose the final and you have that mental letdown it's very much like, well, what are we fighting for? I just thought it was a really inopportune statement from him at the time that he made it. And I honestly, you know, locker room issues aside and who's Vatonking, who's wife aside, uh, I, you know, I just thought that was, that was really just an incredibly poor choice of, uh, of statements to make. Well, he did sort of amend that the next day, and what he said was, kind of what you said what i meant was was that you know like what can i do next but i mean he he said before that someday paris saint-germain will be his job that's his team i mean he said little things like that but he wants to stay i think that the whole erickson wanting to get away that didn't help things i don't think the rumor about Vertonghen and all that you know there's no rebecca vardy gate going yeah. on with with Tottenham right now but they still have a lot of crap players I've been saying for years that Danny Rose is a complete waste of space, and people are finally starting to notice that. Uh, there's been some just absolute profligate defending and uh, some reliable guys like, like Alderweireld and Sanchez. And, and then you think about it, they went out in the offseason and they bought Indebele, and you wondered how he was 
going to fit in, and he ended up getting benched lately for for Lamella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Giovanni Lacelso, and then they get Ryan Sessegnon. He still has a hamstring that he had last season, and so they're they're probably going to look for a striker in the transfer window. You know, they really didn't get going against Watford until they put in Sonny. And that guy is just—I don't know he's where we awesome. would be without him. Isn't isn't yeah. he isn't he a wonderful player? I mean, really, if if you could almost craft who you want on your team, it's definitely him. That's a guy who is—I don't know too many people. I mean, he's sort of like a Steph Curry. He's an amazing player, and then he has this infectious smile. And and if I'm an Arsenal player, I probably hate him. But I would imagine that most people who are indifferent to Tottenham probably like him because he's such a likable guy and he's such a fantastic footballer. Well, I'm a great example of that. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's great to watch. And, you know, there's not that many players in, in global football that can, that can come onto the pitch and actually make that much of a difference uh, individually. Of course, there are those players. But, but I would put him into one of those categories. But they are missing two or three really good quality players to take him over the over the edge but you know after this result against Watford I just want I just I mean Pochettino came out and said he's worried about his job at this point and um, I have to think uh, two things have happened number one is he should be worried about his job and number two is uh, his value globally I think has really decreased in terms of going to take another position well it depends on stretch him if you want on a macro this look I mean if you think about my life as a Tottenham fan, all I wanted to do was avoid relegation. I mean, that was my goal every year. And now I think if we don't make it into the top four, it's some sort of disaster. So I've changed my perspective on things. I, you know, I've always said when it comes to the, to the top flight that nothing counts till Christmas. I'm not going to make any decision in Christmas, even when you get knocked out by Colchester in the League Cup. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not firing anyone until the new year. You have to give it until the new year. Well, look, I mean, what are you going to do? I don't think he should be fired. I think, you know, whatever the problem is there needs to be rooted out. I think they need to support him with some players. And, you know, if, if at the end of the season uh, it's not going where you as ownership want it to go, then you make the change. But for God's sake, you know, making a, making a midseason change uh, would be a real disaster. I'm not sure who they would bring in. Obviously, you know, Allegri's out there. He's apparently had his bags packed for the United job. Um, you know, Mourinho's still out there. But, I mean, I don't know who, who would take over the reins and do a better job, in your opinion. Nobody right now. The whole thing that he had, and he used the French terms like joie de vivre and esprit de corps, that the fighting for each other, that's what we've been sort of missing, the sort of the three musketeers all for one, one for all. And that has been instilled by the gaffer and people like Harry Kane didn't look to go someplace else or Hugo Lloris didn't look to go someplace else because they love that guy and do you fire a guy because he's had a bad month or a bad six weeks uh no they're not even in the bottom half of the table yet so it's just overreaction because the, the expectations are now much higher than they've ever been yeah, well, look, I mean, in fairness, they are just a bit of rubbish. I mean, you know, don't take that the wrong way. But, I mean, the wins have come against Crystal Palace uh, and Southampton uh, this season. You only have three wins on the whole season, uh, Rick. I mean, it, it's pretty pathetic, including losses again. 3-0 to Brighton. I mean, t- uh, the 2-1 loss to Leicester, okay. What was that, the King Power? Leicester flying high right now with a young squad and a sort of uh, in some ways, a, a Pochettino-esque, forward-thinking young manager. Although I think um, 
Brendan Rodgers better known for his man management maybe than Pochettino is. But look, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it doesn't get any easier for your boys, though, as a trip to Anfield awaits on Sunday. Uh, what do you think about next Sunday? You've got about uh, 30 seconds. Well, I, I mean, what have we played? Seven games or whatever? It's just, you know, we got nine. 38 weeks of nine games. Okay, so we got another um, 29 games. Uh, it's just, and you're right, they're not, they're not playing well at all. If they were in the drop zone, I think, they're, what are they, four points clear? Everybody's so packed in at this yeah. point. But, yeah, they have to play better. Um, the, there are alarm bells ringing. But I just think if you make a change, the odds will go way down. The Anfield game is going to be really – I mean, I'm glad the Liverpool finally got a draw just to show that they're human. But it's not – I mean, your boys are looking like they're going to have a, a, make a, an, an easy game of that. All right, Rick Tittle, always a pleasure. We are just about out of time. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Rick Tittle on from Sports Byline. Speak to you later. Cheers. All right, cheers, buddy. Throw it. Throw it to the break. All right, we'll go to break. Be right back. I know it's very rough for him. But I uh, want to thank Rick for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And if you would like, uh, want to hear more from Rick, you can tune into Titillating Sports right here on this very network week weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, if you want to get more Rick Tittle, and uh, he puts on a great show, I thoroughly recommend you tune in. Look, loads to get to today. Um, the Premier League. Let's start with the Premier League this weekend. I mean, uh, you know, if I go back through my predictions, and by the way, you know, my prognostications were actually pretty good, if I do say so myself. And, and quite frankly, I do like to say so myself. Uh, but um, Everton-West Ham, I pegged that one. I knew that Marco Silva was going to turn it around. I knew that Goodison Park was the place to do it. And as much as I like West Ham, and I, and I really, really do, and I like Manuel Pellegrini a lot, a uh, wonderful manager, but, you know, there's just something about Everton and their woeful underperformances season. At some point, things have to change. If the core of your team is good, uh, and we were just talking about this with Rick, I mean, yeah, Tottenham have some, some rubbish players, no doubt, but they've got some real quality in that squad. Uh, at some point, it's going to turn around. And Everton... Uh, look, the start of the weekend saw them in the drop zone. Now, it, as Rick had mentioned, it is highly compressed at the bottom end of the table. Uh, but this was a solid result for Everton, one that they needed. Uh, and uh, West Ham struggling a little bit. I mean, they've uh, uh, on the last three, they uh, lost to Everton. Uh, they lost to Palace at home. And they drew Bournemouth. Uh, that's, of course, coming off the... Uh, the win at home against Man United. So West Ham struggling a little bit, but look, they're a good squad. They're not a great squad. They've got a great manager, absolutely, but, but not a great squad. So that was an, a really uh, outstanding result, I thought, for Everton Football Club and uh, one that I had predicted if you were tuning into the show, and, and I know you do that. Um, you know, City beat Palace, yeah, and they dominated and they scored two goals only and... Could they have scored more? Yeah. City look like they're back on track. They still, there's something about City, though, that I'm just not convinced that this is the same team mentally as last year. And I think one of the things when you, you know, win the Premier League twice in a row, I really think their focus is on Europe. And I expect to see a few more slip-ups on the way. I do not expect them to win the title this year. I just think mental, their mental focus is elsewhere right now. Uh, Southampton Wolves 1-1 at uh, the Molyneux. Uh, you know, kind of a surprising result. I mean, Wolves 
had been looking really good. It was at home. Southampton have been looking, well, I suppose the best way to put it is uh, not so good. Uh, and if you remember, I mean, the last time Wolves lost was back in the middle of September. and They lost uh, on that awful game at the Molyneux. They were tonked by Chelsea 5-2. But since then, they had the draw against Wolves. Pardon me, the draw, draw against Palace. Uh, they beat Watford, but you know, everybody does, uh, obviously, except for Tottenham. Uh, and they had that shock result against City. So then at home to get the draw, a draw against Southampton, I think was a little bit disappointing and, and certainly wasn't uh, a result that I had predicted at the time. Um, Spurs-Watford, no one predicted Spurs getting only a point out of that. But I think that is indicative of the problems, as we just discussed. Leicester City beating Burnley. I think I had that scoreline exactly. I'm just going to take a look at my notes here. I had 2-1 as my scoreline, and that's exactly what it was. Look, Brendan Rodgers is a forward-thinking, youngish manager. I say youngish because he's not a young, young manager anymore. But he is uh, definitely one of the new breed He's a good man manager, become much better since his days at Liverpool. And he has a young squad that clearly responding to him. Uh, Chelsea got a great, uh, pardon me, I'm, uh, I'm uh, uh, running a little bit backwards here. Um, so we talk about Chelsea, that, you know, the, the, they got the win as well. And um, against Newcastle. I predicted that one as well, and uh, the good news, Christian Pulisic was instrumental in making that goal, which is great for young Christian Pulisic, uh, good for Chelsea, really enjoy watching Chelsea play, a nice young team, again, Frank Lampard doing a great job, and currently they're in the top four. Uh, Villa Brighton, uh, that was another one, I actually had 2-0 as a scoreline for that one. Uh, again, we talk about Villa, they made a lot of moves in the offseason, they bought a lot of players. They sort of did the opposite of Norwich. And I think that you're seeing that the Villa model of getting rid of your championship players and buying um, Premier League players is going to pay off in the long haul. And look, they've uh, scored um, 13 goals. They have conceded 15. But if you look down the table, a sort of their, their brother club or sister club, depending on which way you want to look at it, Norwich, who also came up, you know, they didn't make any changes, and they've shipped 21 goals and only scored 10. And did they did get a draw uh, against Bournemouth, which was the surprising result for me because, actually, I, I predicted that was going to be a bit of a goal fest. And I thought Bournemouth would win, but I thought it would be lots of goals sort of all the way around, and uh, that was disappointing for my uh, predictions that it did not turn out that way. Uh, we talked about Everton-West Ham. And then, finally, uh, at uh, Old Trafford, Liverpool get a draw, a contentious draw, I would say, against Man United. Look, we can talk about VAR all you want, and, and maybe we should. I am a proponent of VAR. I think it's long been needed in the league. I think the there's two problems I have with VAR, and I'm not pinning this result on a VAR decision, even though the Man United goal was potentially questionable in terms of the run-up play, and, um, you know, Maybe there was another handball in the box that wasn't called. But but look, that's the result. That's the way it works. I wish Jurgen Klopp would not complain about it. I think it's unbecoming, to be fair. I think you have to give an enormous amount of credit to Man United, who came out and showed what they haven't showed all season, which is passion and desire and playing for the shirt. And I hate Man United. Everybody that listens to this show regularly knows I'm a huge Liverpool supporter. They're my arch enemies. I can't stand them. But... I have to be objective about this. They played great. I mean, they really came out and, um, and played hard. 
stymied Liverpool. But look, when you switch from an attacking formation that's putting the European champions on their back foot and you switch to a defensive formation, I just don't get that because they didn't have the quality to keep Liverpool out. And ultimately, it was a point either way. But back to the VAR discussion. The two problems with VAR, and, and these problems, uh, the the second problem, I think, is bigger. The first problem is the implementation of VAR. Uh, you know, the uh, there's referees in a room that are going to look at the replay, make the decision, and pass it to the referee, as opposed to other implementations of VAR where the referee goes to the sideline and looks at the monitor himself. They decided to go with the one where the panel of referees are making the decision because they thought it would interrupt the flow of the game less and would take less time, which I think it does, but I'm not quite sure that the continuity of the decision-making process is um, is kept when you're taking decisions on the pitch and now moving them to a booth. So that's number one. But the biggest problem with VAR is I think it's showing the foolishness of some of the rules that we have. Look, I don't believe that if a ball touches your hand in the box, it should automatically be a handball. I think if your arm is in an unnatural position or you deliberately handle the ball or what have you, then I think it's a fair handball. But if the ball brushes off your arm, your arm's at your side, there's nothing you can do about that. And I'm not sure that that's a fair call for a handball. It, it is the rule. So in point of fact, it is a absolutely fair call for a handball. But the point I'm making is I think the implementation of VAR and the fact that generally you get to look at these quote-unquote infractions so many times at such close quarters through slow motion and et cetera, et cetera, that we see how persnickety and silly some of these rules are. I remember when they'd said that the offside rule was going to be implemented only if there was daylight between the players. Now you can have a toenail in front and you're going to be called offside, and I don't like that either. And I know, look, some of these calls have benefited my team. Some of these calls have hurt my team. Uh, I do believe at the end of the end of the season, the bad calls and the good calls in VAR will have evened them out for your team. I don't think any team's being picked on or it's a conspiracy or any of this nut stuff that I hear out there. But it's just the implementation could be better. And then the rules themselves that they are attempting to implement through VAR are really kind of silly. And they need to be looked at, and they need to be modified. And I think that's where the IFAB really needs to get their act together and look at that and really give some of these rules the uh, the, the once-over that they need. Uh, so it was an interesting Premier League weekend. We do have another fascinating week in the Premier League uh, ahead of us. Uh, Manchester City will be hosting Aston Villa. Uh, Liverpool will be uh, hosting Tottenham. That's going to be a great match. Chelsea will be hosting Burnley. Arsenal will be hosting Crystal Palace. And um, did I miss one? Yeah, Leicester will be away at Southampton at St. Mary's. And that should be a really interesting game. I'll be fascinated to see what happens. I fully expect Leicester to get the win and stay firmly in the top four. Would love to see Leicester finish in the top four this season. Uh, And Chelsea also. So we're going to talk about Arsenal when we come back because I know they haven't been in my discussion. But what what a disaster today. Absolutely disastrous result for Unai Emery and the lads as they go to Sheffield and lose 1-0. Really, absolutely disgraceful. Let's talk about Arsenal Football Club. Let's talk about Champions League. Let's talk about Mesut Ozil while we're talking Arsenal. And then quickly, a word or two about the addition of Sacramento FC to the stable of MLS teams. All right, that's what we'll talk about when we come back on Fifth Street Soccer. I'm Nick Gieber. Be right back after this. 
All right, welcome back to the show, Fifth Street Soccer. Look, before we go any further, I just want to uh, mention uh, my friend Kenny Hassan. If you have been following World Soccer Daily going back to 2001, you know that I hosted that show with the other bloke whose name I won't mention uh, for many years. At the point that I left, Kenny Hassan, who is a absolutely delightful guy, a, a real charming, charming guy, uh, fine Scottish gentleman, took over. Uh, to co-host that show. And um, uh, Kenny went back to Scotland a couple of years ago. I believe it was a couple of years or maybe a year ago to uh, take care of his mother. And at that time, while in Scotland, he was diagnosed with, um, a, I believe it was a brain tumor. And he has been uh, basically battling cancer ever since. So uh, I did just hear from Kenny and the fight still continues. He had disappeared for a bit. Everyone was worried. But I want to uh, I want to send my absolute best wishes and thoughts and prayers to Kenny Hassan uh, for a speedy and quick recovery. And I know the entire football family uh, would like to do that as well. All right, let's get back to it, shall we? Because today, Arsenal Football Club had an absolute shocker of a match. Absolute shocker of the match. Yes, they were away at Sheffield. Okay, I I, I get that. But we're talking about promoted team. We're talking about Sheffield United here, uh, who uh, you know won't be winning any uh, won't be winning any trophies anytime in the near future. Yes, it was a Bramall Lane. I get it, but to lose one nil to Sheffield United is abs- is an absolutely appalling result for a club that has blown hot and cold at various times. Uh, they have managed to to lose. Two matches, draw three, win four, 15 points on the season. They just, when you think they've got it together and they're starting to play some nice attacking football, and keep in mind they've, uh, you know, uh, not scored um, an enormous amount of goals, but they've looked good at times. Defensively, they've been a question mark at times. But it looked like certainly the last string of results, they were getting it together. But to to go and lose at Bramall Lane against Sheffield United is an absolute shocker. Now, I I understand Sheffield United have been having a decent season. Uh, You know, their most recent results were 0-0 to Watford. They lost to Liverpool, only 1-0. They beat Everton, which was fantastic. But, you know, again, they lost 1-0 to Southampton. You know, they're a promoted team. That's going to happen. But that is a result that should really get Arsenal supporters thinking about their manager, Unai Emery. Not because I think he's a rubbish manager, but because I think he just doesn't have a plan B. He has one way of playing football, and that is it. And that's a problem. Because the ability to make tactical changes on the pitch on game time when things aren't going your way or you're not breaking the opposition down is critically important. And I just sometimes don't think he has the right tactical fit for Arsenal. And certainly their results and the inconsistencies of results would seem to back that up. Uh, you know, you're not going to pull the alarm bells. I mean, they've lost three, three out of nine matches. They've won four. But it certainly needs to be watched. And I would suggest if we're talking about managers on the hot seat, yeah, Pochettino's there. Yeah, Marco Silva's there for sure. But you have to. You have to start thinking 
that Unai Emery's in that mix, and combine that with the situation with Mesut Ozil right now, who wasn't even dressed for the game. This is a guy who is a midfielder, can be completely and totally influential in games. And I have some statistics here, and I'm going to tell you where they came from, by the way, just because I uh, will give credit where credit is due uh, from the BBC. And if you give me a second here, I apologize uh, for my uh, lack of preparation here. I will I will pull it up. But, I mean, this is some really interesting stuff. So Premier League, since Ozil's debut, has he has created more chances than Aaron Ramsey, than Santi Carzola, than Olivier Giroud, than Granite Xhaka. He's been the club's top assist maker in three of their last six seasons. Albeit last season wasn't wasn't the best for him. When you need a player, even coming off the bench, that can change the game, he, he's certainly the first one I would have looked at. But he wasn't even dressed. Something is going on there. He's Ozil has said he loves London. He's not leaving. He's signed till 2021. Forget it. So right now, that's a situation that has to be watched. I don't see Ozil leaving, and I'm wondering if Ozil's just trying to sit out the manager. We'll have to see. All right, a couple of other stories to talk about. Let's talk about Sacramento FC here on this side of the Atlantic. Sacramento finally, finally, finally gets the nod from MLS and are given a franchise. Now, don't say they're promoted because they're not promoted. I, I, I will draw the line at people that say teams that move from USL to MLS are promoted because they're not. They have bought their way into the club. They have been allowed by MLS's single entity to come in as an investor operator and operate a franchise in Sacramento. They have not got there purely on their sporting merit. So they weren't promoted. However, I will say this for Sacramento. This is a club that came into USL with the sole goal of making it to MLS. They were told by MLS, you need an investor group, you need a stadium plan, and you need to show us that there is a market in Sacramento for Major League Soccer. And they have done all of that. In point of fact, they did that within a year. The The first year they played, they were selling out their stadium. But it never seemed to be good enough for MLS. And finally, they get the nod. And I do want to say congratulations to Sacramento and to the fans at Sacramento FC who have backed their team the whole way and have sat through disappointment after disappointment about not being able to buy their way into the into the elite club. So congratulations to them, but more importantly, I, I wish them and their support as well. I, I, this is my hope, and, and I believe that this may well happen. One of the requirements of coming in is a very deep-pocketed investor group. So they, they've done that. The investor group is led by Ron Burkle, who owns the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, it's got Hollywood producer Matt Alvarez and uh, Kevin Nagel, who's a uh, very wealthy local businessman. So they have a really, really solid ownership group. They have a real good understanding about putting a product out there and filling the stands with ardent fans who support their club. So I am hopeful. I am hopeful that Sacramento FC will have the same effect for the game for the top flight game in this country that Larry Berg and um, um, Peter Goober and Henry Wynn and those guys at LAFC, ownership of LAFC, have done. Uh, and, of course, we can never forget really the one club that really opened people's eyes. We're talking about Seattle Sounders. 
uh, and uh, their owner, Adrian Hanauer, and uh, Paul Allen and Drew Carey and, and the rest of the people. A really, really good ownership that understands football. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that when we get more owners like that in the mix, and I sincerely hope the Sacramento FC owners are that, then we will have a situation where maybe, just maybe down the line, MLS will be a viable, exciting league that I will want to follow. So it's not all gloom and doom. I'm not, I'm not totally negative on, on MLS. This is a very positive move, uh, and, I'm, and I'm happy for it. And if you're a fan of, the, of Major League Soccer in this country, uh, then you should, I think, applaud this uh, very much. Uh, let's talk about another story. Of course, the Ballon d'Or has been announced. Uh, if you can be still your heart. I know everybody's uh, super excited about the Ballon d'Or. Uh, not really. Look, the Ballon d'Or was uh, uh, a, an award given by France Football. became a very prestigious award. At some point a few years ago, it merged with the FIFA Player of the Year Award. It's now unmerged with the FIFA Player of the Year Award. But look, like all of the awards in general, I find that the Ballon d'Or is nothing but a popularity fan fest or a festival of whatever the Euro snobby football, you know, powers that be a following of the day. All you have to do is to look at the list of Ballon d'Or winners over the last years. I will tell you, there has not been an English Ballon d'Or winner since 2001 when Michael Owen won it. Since then, Ronaldo, Nedved, Shevchenko, Ronaldo, Cannavaro, Kaká, Ronaldo, Messi, 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 Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, and lastly, Luka Modric, although the runner-up was uh, Ronaldo. You know, it's the same problem I have with, uh, you know, the FIFA Player of the Year awards. I just think they're, they're silly, actually. But I will read out the list of Ballon d'Or nominees, and I will tell you who I think is going to win, who I think should win. The Ballon d'Or, Virgil van Dijk uh, from Liverpool, I think he should win. Bernardo Silva, Man City. Uh, Son Min from Tottenham, we just talked about him, wonderful player. Robert Lewandowski for Bayern Munich, Roberto Firmino with Liverpool, Alisson from Liverpool, Matty Delete at Juve, Karim Benzema with Madrid, when jo- uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum with Liverpool, Aguero from City, De Jong from Barcelona, Lloris from Tottenham, uh, Tadic from Ajax, Cristiano Ronaldo with Juve, Mbappe with PSG, Trent Alexander-Arnold with Liverpool, and then we're going to get down to the people that are going to win it, Lionel Messi from Barcelona. I'm sorry. Whether he deserves to win it or not, he's going to win it. Because that's the way these awards go. And uh, quite frankly, I'm just not interested. So unless somebody else wins it, I will not be interested. Not that I don't love Messi or think he's an incredible player. uh, All of the above. And I also appreciate how his game has changed as he has aged. All right, I promised you with not too much time left, I promised you to look at some Champions League matchups for tomorrow. Uh, We've got uh, Zagreb uh, being hosted by Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, really, you know, don't have an opinion there. Uh, Atletico are hosting Bayern Munich. Atletico, uh, by, pardon me, by Leverkusen. Leverkusen are like ninth in the Bundesliga right now. Atletico flying high. They're the favorites at minus 222. I see them winning. Madrid are headed to Turkey to play Galatasaray at the Ali Samien. Uh, I actually like a draw on that one at plus 350. Bayern Munich will go to Greece and play Olympiacos. They are prohibitive favorites at minus 250. I think they're going to win. Uh, PSG are going to Belgium and playing Bruges. They're also favorites at minus 200. I like them to win. Uh, Juve are hosting Lokomotiv Moscow. Uh, I like Juve to win that, at my, but, you know, minus 714, no value. Same thing with Tottenham hosting Red Star Belgrade, although, although, although a draw may be something you might want to look at, a plus 650. 
Uh, Manchester City are hosting Atalanta. Uh, Man City are minus 909. Atlanta are plus 2,000. Sorry, folks. Uh, no bets there either, as I fully see City winning that. And as I said, I would not be shocked if City actually win uh, the Champions League. By the way, the match to watch, one of the ones I'm really looking for, is on Wednesday when Chelsea will go to Holland to play Ajax. Great value here on Chelsea to win, a plus 140. And, you know, we talk about how they're a young team and Frank Lampard is sort of a, uh, a manager who's getting the most out of these young guys. And I know they've had some inconsistent results, absolutely. But, you know, there's something about this. This is not the same Ajax team that was so dominant in the Champions League last season. I'm telling you, if you want to place a, have a little sniff here, have a little bet. Right now, the money line on Chelsea is plus 140. That's right, plus 140. I know they're away. I really like that bet because I really like Chelsea to, uh, on Wednesday uh, at Ajax uh, to get a result. Uh, the prediction is that Ajax will win 2-1, so the total goals are three. The consensus is three. I think it'll be less, and I, I think Chelsea will nick this one. Maybe 2-1. But, yeah, go ahead and do it. Get some nice plus 140 money on Chelsea. All right. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back to wrap it up on Fistory Soccer. Hope you enjoy the show. Just a reminder, Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm here. That's Monday through Friday, every day of the week, talking the beautiful game. Hope you'll make me a regular part of your week. I'll be right back after this. Call now. All right, welcome back to Fistory Soccer. Just a couple of minutes left and a couple of notes. Um, I get a lot of tweets and messages from people wanting to know where they can buy my Premier League picks. Uh, if you don't know it, I've been temporarily hosting the Picks and Parlays radio show uh, at 3 p.m., 1 p.m. Pacific, that's uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time, uh, Monday through Friday, while the regular host is on maternity leave. It's, it's a basically a handicapping show, deals with a lot of handicapping, lots of American sports. Uh, but I do give out picks for the Premier League uh, on Thursdays on that show. Listen, all the picks I give out are free. I do not charge people for my betting picks and handicapping picks because, you know, honestly, I'm going to win some, I'm going to lose some, uh, just like it always is. But I couldn't in good conscience charge people for my picks. My picks are always free. And you will always get your picks right here, or my picks right here for you on Fifth Street Soccer. We generally do all the Premier League, Premier League picks on Friday. We generally do Champions League picks in the middle of the week. Uh, I'm not sure we'll be doing those this week for you. Not because we don't have them, but just because uh, we haven't probably haven't studied the odds up enough on them. So uh, if you want the free picks, they're there for you, and they're free. I'll never charge for them. They're there for you uh, to have some fun with it. But if you're going to bet on sports, um, for God's sake, you know, be responsible and mature about it, okay? Don't don't bet money you don't have. Maybe your movie money or or, or your little bit of entertainment, but but don't uh, don't get into the hole on this. It's just absolutely never worth it. All right, uh, that's going to wrap up the show. I want to thank my host Rick Tittle, and once again, you can hear Rick by the way at uh, nine a.m. to noon right here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network Monday through Friday uh, with Titillating Sports. He has a great show by the way. Rick knows everything about all sports. It's crazy. The, the guy's an encyclopedia. Uh, but for sure, tune in to Rick. And uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time because I will be back on the air right here on Fifth Street Soccer. Until then, have a great night.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.